0: If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to Spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately.
1: You know, I think to make yourself a good gardener or grower at all, like just having a green thumb, it's all about observation. Because if you don't have the observation skills you never can figure out what went wrong you could read all the scientific papers you want
0: welcome to discover more podcast a community for seekers of curiosity and nuances i am your host benoit Kim, a trilingual korean american veteran and former policymaker I became a clinician after witnessing the non-negotiable of mental health and nuanced perspectives in our everyday life. I intend to connect and dissect the intricacies of life by talking to the most fascinating humans I can find. Congratulations on choosing curiosity over complacency. Let's get this started. This week's guest is Ross Brady. Ross is a well-known arborist YouTuber, home gardener, blogger, and here's a giant plot twist. He's also a tax accountant and a personal good friend of mine. With his unique approach to home gardening and growing figs and fruit trees, he has gained a popular following of 38,000 subscribers on YouTube and more than 7.6 million views on his channel. However, Ross's deep passion and commitment to the home gardening and fig community do not stop here. On his blog, Fig Boss, where he details more useful toolkits and insights to help anyone succeed in their home gardening effort. With its popularity, each blog post amasses more than 400 views and clicks from his readers and viewers. Ross's mission statement is shown on his website. It states, To spread the obsession of growing figs to your backyard, I'm Ross Raddy, a YouTuber growing the food they say you can't. You can grow anything you want, anywhere. For more figs and home gardening specific conversation, please revisit our two-part episode series, episode 65 and 66, already aired last year in October. You can find all things Ross Raddy on his website, fakeboss.com, his YouTube channel, Ross Raddy, and social media at Ross Raddy, R-A-D-D-I. Oh, did I also mention that Ross is also known as the king of figs in the Pennsylvania region and beyond? Ross,
1: welcome to the show. Hey, Ben, what's going on, bud? That was a good intro, by the way. Uh... It was long, but I actually, I was like, I didn't read through the whole thing. So I was like very surprised. I was like, wow, I did that? This is me? (laughs) It is Um,
0: you. So so for this round two, as I said in the intro, I wanna focus more on just who you are and bunch of different high level things that you do in addition to just the box and identity of a figs grower or arborist. So when I think about passion and profits, right? Because nowadays, everyone and their mothers want to turn their passion into profit. You're one of the first few people I think about. Your ability to turn this thing that I'm sure not a lot of people believed in at first, but now you're in this very, very comfortable spot. You have a thriving business, thriving YouTube channel, and you're able to truly make this passion into the profit where a lot of people can only dream of. Like, what do you think about that? And when did that moment click for you? And you're like, oh shit, this is actually something I can turn this into reality into.
1: Yeah, honestly, you cannot go into whatever your endeavor is with that mindset. I think if you go in with the, with the mindset of profit, you will not succeed. I truly believe that the, there's one lesson that you, I can give from this question to anybody is that you have to have passion, right? You can't turn passion into profit if you don't have passion. And people don't have passion majority of the people in the world don't have passion. Uh, it's really sad. Um, but if you have passion and it doesn't matter what it is, you could have a passion for knitting. I use this example all the time. Knitting in my mind is like, one of the most boring things you could do? (laughs) My girlfriend's probably thinking when she's listening right now. Oh no. (laughs) Um, but I really do. I think if there was somebody out there who was a passionate knitter, I could sit there and maybe listen to this person or watch a video on knitting and think, wow, actually knitting might be interesting. Like if if you took Bob Ross and he was knitting, right? Would it be interesting?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll watch.
1: I think that's really the secret sauce in that you just have to have enthusiasm. You have to have passion. Um, There's many forms though of, of passion, right? So, You could just really be in love with something and want to share that with other people. I mean, that's kind of just what passion is, right? Uh, But you could also just be a motivator, right? You could be a teacher. You don't really have to have necessarily um, oozing amounts of passion, but you have to have at least something in that realm that also connects to something else. So, if you want to motivate people, then you have to have passion along with that. Uh, If you want to teach people, you probably should have some passion, like just in order for you to really succeed. You know, I think getting passion or being a passionate person is uh, that's a whole other thing. And maybe you need to die and then come back, reincarnate yourself in some other body with some other family and maybe some other set of genetics. But for me, my family is very passionate people. They're uh, at least my Italian side of my family is very entrepreneurial and um, they're wild people. You know, they're crazy people. And and I mean that in a good way. A lot of the Italian culture in general is just very animated and emotional and passionate. So, um, I got it from my family and everyone in my family is like this. It's not just me. It's my brother, my cousin, even my other cousin, Ginny. We all obsess over one individual thing And we get really good at it and we become very passionate about it. And that's just who we are as a family.
0: That's a really important notion to make because as you said, to make anything profitable, patience and passion has to be the underlying theme throughout. This is a personal curiosity just from what you said about your Italian heritage, your your passion as an Italian. Uh, This might not end anywhere, but how do you and your family think on the spectrum of pineapple and pizza?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did not think you were going there, dude. Oh god. First off, I'm only 15% Italian. Did the the DNA test uh I'm pretty sure my Italian card is going to get confiscated at some point. Like 15% is nothing. Um I'm American, right? But uh in terms of pineapple on pizza, I think it's good in an American Italian sense. I think you can do it. In an Italian Italian sense, Probably a bad idea, but um, I'm in. As long as it's good, I'm in. And that's kind of what Italian culture is about. If the food is good and everything is good, then that's it.
0: Yeah, whatever floats your boat. I I like pineapple and pizza. I know Gordon Ramsay disagrees on that statement. but So, go back to the, uh, the question, right? In terms of you have to identify you are gifted with a certain trait of genetics that allowed you to just be passionate people from your family and so on. Oh, so, why are you so passionate about your mission statements? Because I think passion and obsession are synonymous. Like passionate people tend to be obsessive people. What do you think that this dire, this strong desire to inspire people to grow whatever they want anywhere, as you said, where does that come from?
1: That's a great question. That's, that's a really good question. And you know what, Ben? Believe it or not, I did actually change my mission statement since publishing that on my blog. But it's very similar. It's just gr- it's just trying to grow the best tasting food possible. But it's all very similar in that I think my main mission in life is not really just about this mission or or the second mission, right? It's not about that. It's just about part of my personality is just trying to share what I love with other people, right? That's what passion is. So I think that's why it's just important to me. It's just because that's just ingrained in who I am. There's no, there's no real. Uh, I mean, I think obviously, right? Growing food at home, trying to grow good tasting food, but also trying to grow healthy food. I mean, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of important things there. But at the end of the day, the most truthful answer is that I just like sharing with other people the things that I like, and it's not just limited to gardening or growing fruit or. If I think something is really well worth someone's time, I love it. I want to. Sh- I want you to have that same experience. That's all. I don't like secrets for that reason. One of the worst people to tell a secret to, especially if it's a good good thing. I'm like, why are you? Why you know? Doesn't make sense sometimes. And and there are people actually in. The fig community, as an example, just uh, if we want to go there for a second, that have really interesting and rare varieties of figs that maybe were in someone's family or maybe maybe only a very small handful of people grow it and they love it and then they keep it within that circle of people and they never spread it around. And as myself, who's really dedicated my life to try and find all these different interesting rare fig varieties it's difficult for me to get into that circle of people. And a lot of the people in that circle, they have a a little caveat that says, oh, well I'll share it with you, but you can't share it with anybody else or you can't share it or you can't sell it as an example. So I just think that's really wrong. I mean, that's like if, if aliens existed, would you tell everybody that aliens existed, right? If you had proof, that's where I'm at with that. But in terms of actually um, growing food at home, I just think it's a rite of passage to grow food, even just having an annual, but even to the next level is having a number of perennials in your yard that are there for like most of your life or a good chunk of your life that give you food year after year. And it's so easy to take care of them. They only get better. I mean, I was walking around the yard today and I was thinking to myself, my goodness, like everything just gets better and better. And I say the same thing every year. I'm like a broken record. But it's still, every single year, it's amazing. Everything gets more mature, everything gets more established, everything gets older and larger and gets the sunlight that it needs and produces all, all this amazing fruit. And the fruit gets better every year. So, you know, I don't know, I just want to share that. Like, this is so, it's so important to me that um. I definitely think everybody should do it.
0: Yeah, there is a lot there where you should share, Ross. I, def- I want to table this and revisit at some point. Because I sense this underlying threat of all good things in life compounds over time. Whether it's interest, whether it's stocks, investment, trees, your backyard, so and so. So keep that in mind, I'll revisit this. So in terms of what you chose to start your YouTube career, you chose fakes. And I said in the intro, you're, you are generally known as king of fakes. It's not just flattery. I know you're very well known in the community, especially in Pennsylvania region, where a lot of these so-called fruits weren't imaginable to be grown until you came over and you tried all this dabbling, all these experimentations. So why are figs so special to you? And what is it to people who may not be familiar with the fruits? <laughs>
1: well, let's be clear. I was not really the first one to do this and grow figs in this climate. And in fact, there's been a number of pioneers and people I really respect, like, uh, just give a shout out to Big Bill. He's in Lancaster. He has um, a nursery called Off the Beaten Path Nursery. There's also Bass Simon, who has a nursery, uh, Trees of Joy. And there's a number of guys that are older and didn't really have the um, young lives or the time in their lives to dedicate their lives to this thing. And uh, I've been a very fortunate life situation. Yeah, I wasn't the first one to do that, but I definitely have made it a mission of mine to make it easier for people to grow figs in this climate that we live in. And uh, I think I've definitely succeeded with that. But um, Ben, to answer um, your question about why I think it's important or why people should grow figs is that, well, first off, they are my second favorite fruit. And that's going to come as a shocker. But uh, persimmons are my favorite. But for the longest time, growing up as in an Italian household or somewhat Italian household, having an Italian grandfather, uh, he kind of shared his love for figs with me in that he, didn't, he had a fig tree when he was young and he had a fig tree when my dad was young. But as soon as he moved, he no longer had a fig tree. In fact, he gave his tree to his best friend, Vince, who then at some point in Vince's life, he killed it and now there's no fig tree. So he didn't have fresh figs for a portion of his life and that was upsetting. Every time he would come up here because he lives down now in Florida, he would kind of just do very similar things. And one of the things he would do was just get some dried figs and I would eat some dried figs and um, I'm like, wow, these actually are really good. Never had a fig at that point in my life. And then I never even had – after eating a dried fig, of course, never had a fresh fig. So, then I – Eventually got into them and started eating them fresh and I realized, oh my goodness, they're so good fresh and they're they're way better fresh than they are dried. And then from there, I think, you know, I tried all these other different things and of course, I think the main motivation in my life was the flavor and the eating experience and being a foodie, right? That was such a great thing. And then I learned also within figs, there's such a diversity of figs. You know, there's all these different shapes and sizes and colors and flavors uh, that made it all very, very interesting. And there's such a genetic diversity in figs. And the greatest part is that no one owns them, right? There's a patent that most fruit varieties are patented. So it takes 10 years, as an example, to patent a peach variety. Uh, these growers who spend very meticulous time and really know what they're doing, they crossbreed peaches for ten years before they fully develop, typically the peach that they want, and a lot of stone fruits are like that. You know, you got plums and, and uh, apricots, and uh, pluots now have come in, and there's pluries and there's they cross all these different stone fruits together and create these interesting new fruits that took really ten years to create. Um, they're getting better and a little bit faster at that now, but. The point is, is that figs, they, they, this was not a thing. This, this, um, there is no university or program that is funded in some way that is creating the fig varieties. I mean, there are an average Joe probably somewhere that are breeding them and trying to find the next best fig. And I mean, there, there have been actually some that are released in different nurseries and whatnot. But believe it or not, through my own experience, the best figs are the ones that aren't the seedlings, that aren't the ones that are created. They're actually the ones that have been in people's families or been in a particular town for many, many years. And we're talking maybe even hundreds of years. And who knows, it could even be longer than that. Those are the ones that were selected over time and cared for for a specific reason, right? People went to battle over figs. Like there was literal like, petty arguments and almost semi-mini wars over these things, I I was told. Um, so these things are around in Europe or have entered into the United States for a very good reason because they are special to somebody. You got to imagine if they're special to somebody, there's probably a good reason, right? I mean, like most people think something like, I don't know, 10 years ago like acupuncture was just a bunch of craziness or maybe even yoga was a bunch of craziness but there was all these section of people who who thought this was really cool and this is important so they shared it and it's the same thing with figs there's a story with them and um, it's a nice bonus that they're really tasty
0: yeah that's uh first of all it's insane that a patent of a fruit like a peach takes 10 years to develop because that's something, as you said, sure, with current technology, you can fasten the process, but 10 years is a long time. And it's, we talked about this in our first conversation, like nature in itself is whole and in itself is inherently still. And you can't really rush the process of growing a tree, right? You have to let the course take itself. I want to stay on that train for a bit. You're extremely knowledgeable and you, are, you speak in this depth of knowledge, right? You understand the history, you understand the cultural aspect. You understand the conflict aspect too which is something i also never thought about like having a territorial warfare over these genetic breeds or seeds or whatever that may be what's your research process because i do i talk about this in the show a lot when you have a curiosity calls if you answer that curiosity opens a lot more doors and it could lead you down the path where you never expect it to be uh does that apply to your research process whether you're researching for a topic for the your youtube channel for content or just for your own love for these fruits and these processes because you know a lot more than just how to build a fig tree. You know the history, you know everything in between.
1: I mean, you could very easily just give a very simple answer and just say, well, there's the internet rabbit hole, right? Um, they always lead you down to some weird place. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people know what I'm talking about. But yeah, in terms of like actual research, process itself i think uh if there's something i'm interested in obviously i'll try to find something that's interesting to me and then of course i'll end up probably realizing that it's connected to something else that i already know or it's connected in some way to something else in life because at least my philosophy is that everything is connected right everything's just math and um So, I I really do. I think that uh, when you learn something new, like if you wanted to learn the piano, there's some certain things that when you're learning the piano that can be applied to learning something else that's new. I'm trying to find these connections, right? Because at the end of the day, what do we really know? I mean, I don't know anything. A lot of our knowledge is borrowed, right? I mean, we, we assume other people know what they know, and then we kind of attach that, and maybe we make our own inferences and we. We say that, uh, you know, okay, this must be true.
0: Let's uh, revisit the tabled idea in terms of all best things in life compounds and iterate over time, right? Because as you talked about knowledge compounds over time, whether they're seemingly complementary or not. So whether it's in your home gardening, your YouTube journey, or whatever 14 different things you do, uh, what are some of the theme that you've seen across the board? to really reinforce this idea that the best things in life truly do compounds. Just like every time you look at your backyard, you say the same thing, right? Every year, oh man, it looks amazing. It looks better. It looks better.
1: It's probably one of the best ways to motivate somebody, right? I mean, it's one of the best arguments, I think, because I mean, you even just get some kind of like reward system boost within you and of course, that Every year that gets better, you then feel mo- much more rewarded over time that this was a thing you did, and this was a thing that I think we talked about this in the last time we talked is that you know you you end up getting some kind of even neurotransmitter boost in some way, so there's a definitely a reward system there, and it's it's a sense of pride, right you could feel proud about yourself and something you did. It's like an easy way to feel prideful about yourself, probably for someone who doesn't have enough pride, plant some. Plants, you know, it's very easy way. To get, easy way to get some confidence, maybe. Um, something else that's tangible is going back to the piano, in that I have always wanted to learn how to learn the piano, and I would feel really disappointed in my life and myself if I never learned the piano. I just want to be able to play an instrument. You know, I never learned, I never picked it up as a kid, um, but I know. The joy that I will feel, right? Because I know deep down in my heart, and as probably some of you guys know as well, that growing food is a rewarding and important thing. And I think being able to express yourself artistically in multiple different ways in your life is super important. Really, it's just based on the fact that I know that this thing will make my life more richer uh, from that point forward. And I'll look back as I do now. I look back with all the knowledge I've gained on growing fruit and vegetables, I look back and I think, wow, could I even imagine my life at this point without this skill and this thing that I have have attained? You know, I also look at, uh, in a a weird way, I look at like this food shortage that we're having or that people think we're going to have to a much higher degree. And I think, wow, well, you know what? I'm never gonna go hungry. I've never, that's never even a thought. Like I can even just walk around look at some weeds in the ground and I'll be fine. <laughs> like I could just identify weeds. Like I don't even need, I don't know. It just, that's just, that's it. It's just a richer experience in life that uh, I don't want to miss out on.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And for all the listeners, Ross is a great singer. One of the oh, best so. nights and the fondest memories I have of two years ago, three years ago, was that Thanksgiving, Friendsgiving night at Ena's, our mutual friends. We were yeah. just, Uh, vibing to you singing your heart out we had guitar sessions and that honestly that's one of my favorite memories of the last few years we had so much fun that night just these free flow expressions and also finding out that in addition to being a food and wine snob you're also extremely gifted with your music Uh, but you're a great singer
1: Um, yeah i appreciate that
0: i want to go back to what you just said in your response in terms of making music like everyone should have something not for any other reasons than for themselves uh, but f- making music requires tremendous hard work patience skill sets research and so on what what i see similar is making food and growing food right so in terms of that sense the, not just the prep work everything that goes into this art of creating music in this sense the art of growing food what do you think that separates a great grower versus just a okay, mediocre grower. If they're really inspired by this conversation with you.
1: One of the best things that um, I like to say to people is there's a million and one ways to do the same exact thing in gardening. That's the beauty of it, right? Is trying all these different random things that you could do that there's so many ideas and and a lot of it's already been done. Like none of it's really new. I mean, people have been doing a lot of the types of farming and regenerative farming and um, But we are trying something new and that's the beauty of it, right? You always can try something new, not just with a technique or a method, but you can try a new variety or you could try a new vegetable or fruit altogether. You know, uh, there's so much new and curiosity that always keeps your mind flowing in there. You know, I think to make yourself a good gardener um, or grower at all, like just having a green thumb. Um... It's all about observation because if you don't have the observation skills, you never can figure out what went wrong, right? This, you could read all the scientific papers you want uh, and uh, maybe they'll give you a list of reasons or maybe you could even look this up on the internet um, and there'd be a list of reasons and that's probably what people do all the time. Is they'll be like, why did my plant die? Or why did my plant have yellowing leaves? Or why does my plant have spots on it? Or why does my plant do this? And there's always a list of reasons. Why is there a list of reasons? Because it's never really just one thing. There's probably a multitude of reasons, or they're giving you a multitude of reasons because they don't really know the real reason. Because the only re- person who knows the real reason is you. People ask me all the time, they're like, Ross. They message me on Instagram or Facebook. They're like, Ross, what's wrong with my plant? Please help me. I'm desperate. (laughs) Everything (laughs) in my life is just depending on this plant and it's in my family (laughs) and like all this other crazy stuff. And I'm just like, listen, I would love to help you and I do help these people, but you have to give me way more information because I'm trying to play detective here, right? I got to figure out why your plant died or why your plant is unhealthy or why it looks like this. Because- that's what you have to do. You have to figure out why this happened. And then once you figure out why it happened, you observe why this occurred, you don't repeat the same mistake. Because if you repeat the same mistake, you're never going to learn, you're never going to get better, right? So there's it's a two-part thing. It's observing why it happened and the real reason why it happened, not observing something that you think is true. But really coming to a good conclusion as to why you thought this actually happened and then not making the same mistake, preventing that same mistake so that you, you don't make it again, which happens all the time. People make the same mistakes over and over again. I make the same mistakes still to this day sometimes, depending on what it is. I just made a mistake this past uh, weekend because it was 95 degrees and it's not always 95 degrees and some of my plants got fried. But to me, that's the most important skill is observation.
0: So I sense a thread of refinement, right? It's almost like you're tracking your action steps, your processes, and then discerning that, identifying a couple of things that could have gone wrong or did go wrong, and then based on a tweak and integrate. Uh, Can you walk us through maybe some tangibles of your your own self as a professional? How do you approach your refinement process? Like, do you have a journal log? Do you keep track of everything you do every step of the way? Is it more mythological is a more intuition based and you have the experience now how do you refine your own process so you best prevent the same mistake from occurring twice
1: yeah ben this is like uh fortunately another good personality trait that i picked up where i just do this all the time because i'm trying to improve at anything i do i hate being stand still or even moving backwards actually i might prefer moving backwards than moving and standing still sometimes. It's just a thing that I do. I just keep this collection of records in my mind. And sometimes I have to just empty the the bank sometimes and just say, all right, enough's enough. I can't be thinking about this anymore. But yeah, I think uh, that's at least my method. Um, It would be nice if I wrote it down in a journal. That way I didn't have to keep a bank of all this information. I don't know. That's not really how I operate, but it's probably way better. It definitely would be better. I could definitely see some benefits of writing some of this stuff down. What's nice though, because it is a refinement process, like you said, Ben, it's it's not ever you know, 100% I know the answer. Um, you have to really have to keep an open mind and think to yourself, okay, well, you know what? I thought that's why this plant died and maybe it isn't. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't make that mistake again, right? I didn't make the same mistake the first time, but the plant still died. So what did I do? You know, keep an open mind as to actually how this thing happened. And that's kind of how you refine it over time. You know, I thought for a while I was growing figs underneath these low tunnels and I was really trying to get this system, this method of growing figs underneath plastic, which is underneath the greenhouse. They're pretty low structures that are only three feet high. Six feet wide, and they form this this uh, this tunnel. And because the figs can be cut back really far down in the ground, kind of like an annual, you can plant annuals underneath these tunnels, and they get a really nice head start to the season. A lot of farmers use this as season extension, so they'll grow a lot of crops at a super early date at a really low cost, and it's super easy to construct the tunnels and even take them down. So I started doing this with figs, which was really the first time anyone kind of had really had this idea. I mean, people were using them in different ways, but not in the way that I was thinking of. And um, the way that I was approaching this and thinking that my failures were happening, the reason my failures were happening, I thought was totally different than what actually was true. And I realized that this year, and that was like the third season, the third year. It took me three years to figure this out. Sometimes these problems, the way that nature is and the way that growing food is, it's so slow. You know, I wish that I could do it all and figure it all out in like a matter of an hour, but it took me multiple years. Like it took me three years to learn how to grow corn, right? Just as an example, because I failed the first year. I made the mistake. Then I made a different mistake. Then I made a different mistake. You know, you keep making these different mistakes and you realize you put it all together and eventually, hopefully you get it right. And there it is. Probably you should write it down once you get it right. I'm sure a lot of farmers do, and they they have exact dates of planting and exact things that they did to to know exactly what they did. Uh, that's where I'm not rigid. I like to be flexible with all this stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. The I uh, also appreciate the honest answer because not everything is planned out. Not everything's meticulous. Everything's perfect. So for you, Ross, in terms of what you just said earlier, uh. A million different things can happen. A million different things go wrong based on the climate, the humidity, the temperature that day, maybe a careless mistake you've done or planted, uh, pun intended. Could you come up with like a quick list of some of the most and easily preventable mistakes for beginners? Just like a high level list where people don't have to go online down the interweb.
1: In terms of like eliminating a lot of the mistakes that people make. It's really solvable. Almost a large percent of it is based around water, right? Uh, and the way that water affects the soil and then affects the plant, because you're watering the soil, right? You're not watering the plant. the The water's in the soil, and then the plant's taking up the water. So you have to really think about as a beginner the soil as its own separate entity, I think. And people don't give enough, um, thought and they don't, of course the information just isn't out there as readily available or cause there's just so much crap out there. You know, I did a video, I think I even did a podcast one time talking about garden myths. And I looked actually at just googled very quickly lists of garden myths and you could take every single garden myth that they th- that they said was a myth right they said that this is wrong but everyone believes it to be true well in some aspects actually some of those could be true like yeah maybe it is a myth in terms of most of the time it's wrong but sometimes it's right you know i think uh the information just out there is just not very good on soil and um a lot of the soil we get at the store or the big box stores and that's readily available to us is is mainly peat moss and typically that peat moss is then combined with perlite which is a volcanic rock or vermiculite and the both of them kind of add some drainage to the perlite so uh, you need some drainage not necessarily so that the water will drain out of the bottom of the pot But so that there's better air in the soil. Because in the soil, you need two things for plants. You don't just need water, actually. You need air. Because if there's no air, the soil becomes anaerobic. And when you have an anaerobic environment, that's like rot. That's like death. Right? So you don't want to have that. And that frequently happens in a lot of people's uh, soils in that the soil life, the microbes become anaerobic, and in, in turn, the plant that is living doesn't like that, and then starts to the plant starts to rot from the bottom. So the the roots of the plant start to die. And then, of course, when the roots die, the top of the plant then starts to die. And people always look at the top of the plant, and they think, well, crap, Something happened at the top of my plant, but in reality, it started down in the soil at the bottom and you can't see what was going on. So a lot of times you have to actually take the plant up out of the pot, look at the roots and say, okay, well, are these healthy roots? Did something happen to the roots? What does the soil look like? Did you actually stick your finger in the soil before you watered the plant? You know what I mean? Like that's a really simple fix that people, I think a lot of people are afraid to do and they're like, "Well, Ross, how often do I water this thing?" right? Cuz what how often you water or the amount that you water, like I said, fixes the broad spectrum of problems for the most part. So, but people ask me that, "How often do you water?" Well, I can't tell you how often you water because guess what? Your environment is totally different than mine. Are you in a house? Are you outside? What's the humidity? Uh, you know, how warm is it? Um, how many hours of sunlight do you get? You know, there's so many questions. So the only real answer is you have to stick your own finger in the soil <laughs> and figure out, well, just how moist is it? Because if it's wet, that's a problem, right? There's different levels. There's dry, there's moist, and then there's wet. You want the plant and the soil to be consistently moist. That is what gives you a green thumb. So, if you can do that properly, you're going to have a healthy plant. Now, going back to the soil really quickly, is that this peat moss, usually combined with perlite or vermiculite, unfortunately, still holds a lot of water. So, even though they add those rocks for drainage, for air, it still holds a lot of water uh, because peat peat moss is quite dense. So, it's very easy in a lot of these plants to actually overwater them. and Combined with the fact that there is a lack of soil microbes, a lot of times they sterilize the soil and then they actually add back in mycorrhizae, which are different types of soil microbes back into the soil to actually give it some life, right? Compost actually is really a great source of life in the soil. You're creating that life, believe it or not, when you compost. It's very similar to when you make yogurt or kefir or when you ferment anything, you are multiplying in a contains method and system, multiplying all the different bacteria that are naturally found on the earth, on the soil, and you're multiplying them when you create this compost. So, you're going from, unfortunately, typically our plants have evolved with many, many (laughs) species of of microbes and when you then get rid of all these microbes i think a very similar thing can happen just like it happens with us as humans there's a a balance that needs to occur and now we're out of balance so of course that's really what being anaerobic is right you you don't have the air and the microbes change and the plants die just one tip on the soil is that you probably could just get yourself some compost um, and anytime you get the plant from the store, just add some compost here and there. Um, if you're gonna up pot it, put it in some better soil. Don't put it back into Miracle Grow, which Miracle Grow, not that it's a bad soil, because it can work for people under the right circumstances, but you certainly you know are gonna have a much harder time having a healthier plant if you're gonna continue using the soil that's cheap and affordable and easy to be shipped and you know all there's so much uh you know economics to the soil itself that these plants are sold in you don't want to have that you want to spend a little bit of extra money get yourself an organic compost or organic worm castings and maybe throw in your own amendments to actually add some drainage in there throw in some bark the shells of rice that people actually use as a byproduct and it's pretty cheap
0: And like i said we are just the vehicles for information but Ross is uh, quite an expert in this field. So I will just pause it and rewind and write some of those things down. And I will, of course, include that information in the show notes below. It To me, Ross, it sounds like a cycle of life, right? Like how for us, we need the oxygen, we need the rest, we need the nutrition for us to truly be optimal. I didn't know there was so much complexity there where soil requires water and oxygen to be oxidated um and i do sense a lot of theme of life and in life through what you just said like the process of f- uh, sticking a finger in the soil to test the moistness of water and i know you're a great home chef as well in cooking the one of the easiest and the biggest mistakes is people don't taste their food beforehand before they taste it or they forget to when they're cooking meat they just don't push the like the meat just to feel the tenderness and I think a lot of th- times in life, you can solve a lot of problems just by sticking a finger uh, <laughs> in it. So, you know, uh, non-sexually, of course. Um, <laughs> so uh, in terms of that, um, have you noticed your, you, your personality and you becoming more patient? The longer you do your home growing, your figs, because as you said, you wish you can tweak something faster, but you can't and there's so many intricacies and when you do create a mistake or a misstep you almost have to wait for the iteration to come around for the next season uh has that have any influence on how patient you have become in real life
1: yeah ben you know depends on who you ask <laughs> <laughs> like my mom would probably say i'm not patient but it really depends on what it is i think i'm uh the most one of the most patient people in the world i mean obviously not but exaggerating but i don't know necessarily i think it's more of the just less things bother me typically um my brother i had a little brother growing i have a little brother and he was he's actually only 51 weeks younger than me so we're irish twins and uh he thought it was his job as a little brother to annoy his older brother like that was (laughs) that was his life thing he used to dance One of the most common things he would do is he would dance in front of the TV as I'm watching the TV, just like a goofball, like, uh, remember that Six Flags guy that uh, was bald and he was on the commercials and like, you know, so that was him. He would dance like that in front of the TV you know, he, sometimes he would even do that. He would like, just annoy me just to start a fight with me. Like he would try to physically fight me all the time. I think that's probably a different thing, but in terms of patience with growing food, yeah, there certainly is. And I say it all the time as a joke, but I really do mean it in that. Yeah. It really does teach you patience. Like, Hey Ross, or they call me lazy. Or like if someone ever called me lazy or if someone ever called me impatient, I'd be like, I'm a farmer. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like yeah. how can you be a farmer and be lazy or impatient? Like it just it just doesn't make any sense. Like there's a tree I have. It's called a pawpaw. It's the largest fruit to, native to North America. The problem is with them unfortunately when you plant them yourself mine at least took 7 this is the 7th season before they actually are going to put out some fruit. So I grew something for 7 years, patiently waited <laughs> And actually, I'm going to hof- hopefully, I don't even know. This is not a guarantee, but the the flowers set the pawpaw. You can see the little fingers, the little baby pawpaw there. And hopefully in the next three months, I will have pawpaw. But that's not a guarantee. And I may have to wait another year. I have another fruit called che or chi, which is like uh, this circular fruit that is related to the fig and the mulberry and it kind of supposed to taste like watermelon and it may not even be that tasty. I was told by some people who actually have tasted it, it's really not even that good. But I've committed to that tree and I've had it for probably five years now and it still is yet to fruit and probably won't, like it may never fruit. And yeah, I would love to follow up and you said
0: three months to see the status of your own, the fruit of your labor quite literally
1: at least in my mind, as I've discussed with you before, that I particularly feel very good at a very precise time of the year. And that's usually around the middle of June, the month of June, maybe early, early July. Because in the middle of June, I'm typically harvesting 10 to 15 different fruits at one time, that's a lot of fruit. And my diet usually consists of just fruit. I become a deer grazing all the fruits in my backyard. (laughs) And I'll go out there periodically throughout the day. And that's my lunch. That's my breakfast. That's my dinner. Like I literally, a lot of the time I eat just fruit. And um, I really do believe that at that time of the year, there's some kind of magical thing that's happening within me um, with the microbes in my gut that come from the antioxidants in these fruits and the fibers of these fruits, right? The microbes... particularly it's the acromantia munisophilia that I've learned is the particular strain um, that really feeds off of these antioxidants. You know, they always recommend if you want to raise that particular microbe, you can eat a lot of pomegranates, right? Because why why are pomegranates a great thing? They have a lot of antioxidants and they have seeds, which is all that fiber. So I would imagine, of course, I don't know for sure, but there is a ton of I imagine all these Ackermansia microbes just exploding in numbers in my gut, eating handfuls and handfuls of berries and different types of berries, not just the one berry or the one pomegranate, but getting antioxidants from so many different sources. There's a number of fruits that I grow and I will actually grow in the future uh, for that purpose. And, you know, uh, something as an example like currants, Uh, In the past, I grew red and black currants. They taste different depending on the color. It really does determine the flavor and they could have very different tastes actually and flavors based on the colors. But also, those are not really fruits that people eat for fresh eating. I would imagine back in the day, that's what people did is they ate them fresh. It's a very sustainable, easy source of food that's there for like ever. So, and guess what? There's seeds in them. And the amount of antioxidants in these currants has is, is got to be insane. Um, there's another one actually that I would like to plant at some point in the future. It's called aronia berry and it has another name. It's called chokeberry because when you eat it, you might choke because <laughs> it's so astringent. Like that dry mouth feel, if you ever ate a green unripe banana, you know how it gives you that dry mouth feel? Yep. Multiply that by like four. And that's what you'll get in your entire palate when you eat a chokeberry or an aronia berry. But guess what? I'm going to plant them because they have antioxidants and they have some sort of health purpose. And for me, the diversity of all of that is worth it. I think the one that I will never grow again is the goji berry. Uh, you, know, you have to, I think, process that in some way. Because that thing is just nasty. Uh, It's unbearable to eat.
0: I mean, that's the best way to vet against the unknown ingredients. The benefits of that or the harmful effect of that is by literally growing in your backyard and you've gone through the vetting process yourself. And to the listeners, in in our previous episode, we dive a lot deeper into Ross's gut issues, a lot of his depressions, a lot of his mental fog, fogginess that he experienced for a prolonged period of up to two, three years. Uh, a lot of that was from his diet. A lot of these uh, added hormones to factor farming meat and all this processed food, sugar, corn syrup, and all that. So for his specific gut health journey that he was able to reinvent quite literally his health through elimination diet, like Mark Manson's functional medicine uh, idea, I would strongly encourage to revisit episode uh, 65 and 66. I do want to stay on the health train for a bit, Ross. So I do know that, We're both pretty big on anecdotal evidence because there are evidence nonetheless. Uh, It's just not, I guess, massive enough to qualify for empirical evidence. And I definitely want to talk about uh, some of the downsides to adhering to this so-called scientism or or reductionistic imperialism of, oh, everything has to be evidence-based, quote-unquote. Before we get there, uh, we'd love for you to share the most recent health journey you've been on. Uh, because last time we talked, it was about gut health. You were able to use food as medicine to eradicate your depression that plagued you for a long time. And now, through chiropractor practice and chiropractor sessions, you're able to tweak a certain domain within your health. I would love for you to share that journey with us.
1: Yeah, Ben, I'm happy, actually very happy to talk about this topic, um, going back to the whole passion thing. What I can tell you with certainty with this chiropractic Journey that I've been on is that by changing my spine, particularly my neck, I mean, of course, my, as I understand it, my spine is like a rope. And that if you move a certain part of your spine, another part of your spine will move as well. So you kind of need to get the whole thing in place properly to get everything right. But if someone were to adjust my neck in the right way and, and then the right vertebrae along my upper neck, that dramatically can affect my vagus nerve, which are go across your carotid arteries. And then as I understand it, really the basis of chiropractic work and, and maybe certain concentrations of chiropractic work focus on this where the brain is sending the signal down your, your spinal cord, right? And the brain is then sending out these, these nerves and sending the signal to the nerves that then go to all different parts of your body. So, if, you know, there's a, the, the famous gut-brain connection that everybody's making, and it's been really a revelation and, and important, uh, and a lot of that's been coming up in functional medicine. I really truly believe all of that with my whole journey with food and the elimination diets we talked about, but no one's really mentioning the connection between, well, the gut-brain connection, but there's also a connection from your brain to your gut both, it has to be a full loop. And the problem is that when people have improperly aligned spines, they have uh, connections that are interrupted or not as strong. Like if I called you on the phone or maybe this particular call that we're in right now, if one of us started to go blurry, you know, clearly there's a connection problem. The connection's not as strong. So, if I'm trying to call you and I say, hey Ben, what's up? And then you said, Oh, I didn't get that. I only heard, Hey, well then clearly, you know, something's not working right. And that's kind of what's was happening with the number of different things in my body that started about um, December of uh, January of 2021. And uh, we actually talked about this in the last meeting that we had the last podcast that's about when we did this when I was telling you guys that I was feeling ultra stressed and I had never felt this stress before and I was burnt out and I couldn't do anything for weeks and I you know I was just like something had really traumatic happened with uh, the fig communities and people were attacking me and I told you about the politics and all the crap that was going on but I did believe that something was happening to my neck in a worse way uh, during the during that time period. So I was connecting the dots between stress and your vagus nerve. I was trying everything I could to relieve stress. I was meditating. I was uh, taking adaptogens. I was taking ashwagandha and rhodiola and all these <laughs> different things. I was taking reishi, <laughs> all these different things to help me de-stress. And I was doing everything I could. I was I was journaling actually. That was one of the things, but nothing was really working. It was just chronic and always there. And the thing had just passed, like this was months away. And I just could not get over this. Um, And eventually I connected the dots to your vagus nerve and how stress is affected through that nerve in some way. And uh, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go see a chiropractor. And sure enough, my mom has been seeing a chiropractor for many years He's one of our clients through our CPA firm. He's a very good friend of ours. For anyone that wants to know, his name's uh Dr. Jim or James Galgano. He's in, over in uh Burlington, New Jersey. And he's a really, really good and well respected chiropractor, as from what I can tell. Uh, because, you know, not every chiropractor is created equal. So I just want to say, like, you know, you guys listening to me and thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna I'm gonna go see a chiropractor, you know, like you really need to do your research. Like, every person is not the same. Like every fig grower is not the same. <laughs> every every uh podcast host is not the same. So like, you know, you need to really do your research on this. But I've particularly found the chiropractor for me, Dr. Jim, who is focused on aligning my spine. Is not really there just to crack my bones and say, All right, get out of my office. You know, he wants to align my spine for my health. So you know, Ben, it's, you haven't seen me in a while in person, but uh, you might recognize a pretty different posture that I have. Um, so interestingly enough, when you go in to see Dr. Jim, he really tries to be evidence-based with his practice. And some of the things that he does are, first of all, x-rays. You come in, you get an x-ray. The other thing that you do when you get an adjustment before you come in, you get a thermal image scan. And this thermal image scan goes up and down your spine and it shows you the hot spots on your spine and the and the cold spots, excuse me. So if it's a hot spot, it comes out red on the screen, right? It shows the thermal image picture on the screen there. You can see where your inflammation is. That's typically where things are hot. Maybe you have some burning pain. There was a woman who came in and was getting the tour and she was going around and doing her thing. And then she came around to get her, scan and I saw it on the screen and I overheard them talking and she said that uh well she had a really big red spot right here on her upper spine. It was massive. And the person who does the scans every day, she probably does hundreds of scans every day. She's like, Oh, your head's really red. That you probably have a headache or a migraine and she's like, Oh my God, I do. So you know, that was interesting. But then the the cold spots of it the opposite effect is the cold spots are actually where the nerves are not giving a strong signal at that location. So your brain's trying to send the signal. For me, there was a there was a cold spot right here on my right-hand side of my upper cervical spine. It's like my C2 nerve, my C2 vertebrae, with the nerve that comes out of there and goes across down this way. Um, you could see it every single time I went in. And of course, over time, it's gotten better and better, and my nerves have gotten healthier, and they've gotten a stronger signal, and I don't have nearly as many problems as I used to. And it's amazing, guys, you know, uh, depending on the vertebrae that you have a problem with connects to all different parts of your body. So for me, the C2 nerve, or the C2 vertebrae, excuse me, even connects to my eye. My right eye, I could see better after getting an adjustment, like no joke. There was less pressure, I was told, in my head. You could feel the pressure of release in my head. And because there was less pressure, I was thinking, well, why is my vision getting – something's happening with my vision. It's getting better. I need to go see an eye doctor. So I went to go see an eye doctor. It turned out the astigmatism in my right eye, which I've had for pretty much my entire life, was gone. The whole thing has just been a really wild experience. You can look up on the internet. I would highly suggest doing this. Look up a chart that you can find that will connect the dots between every vertebrae in your spine to potential problems that you may have. And a lot of these weird problems that people have uh, somehow go right back to your spine. And if you fix your spine, you probably will fix the problem. And that's at the base level, right? The root cause of the problem, which is the functional medicine approach. Rather than putting a band-aid and giving you a drug for your vertigo or giving you a drug for your cluster headache, why not change your spine? Obviously very scary and people are very skeptical, but um, I do believe that at some point in the future, if we become a more civilized and informed society, we'll probably be seeing a chiropractor like we do our dentist. And that will go at least twice a year and we'll be seeing them even as kids. Because that's actually when my problem started as a kid.
0: And it's in my last episode that just released, episode 96. I speak with systems thinking expert talking about how a lot of the systematic and just issues that we have in America is because of this specialized subsystem thinking where people only talk to each other. Where physicians only speak with physicians, eye doctors only speak with eye doctors, but then it's not really truly cross-disciplinary and multidisciplinary because I'm also a beneficiary of intensive chiropractor practice. A year and a half ago when I was involved in a five-car collision on a Highway 76 in Philadelphia on my way to work, I was a second card of the five cars and I received three multiple different whiplashes. And the person told me that if I didn't have a spare tire in my trunk that observed 80, 90% of the impact, I could have died. And yeah, chiropractor practice did wonders. Uh, it's amazing. So, and also, most importantly for listeners, of course, we do understand that this is Ross's anecdotal experience and evidence, but Ross is a huge health junkie because of a multitude of physiological. And mental issues and challenges he encountered uh, in the last better half of the decade which is what prompted and catalyzed his venture into functional medicine microbiomes soil homegrown food and now chiropractor these works for him and as we talked about in the beginning uh, so many things in our societies are either oh scientism or anecdotal a lot of truth is in the in the middle always i do think that life is in the nuances which is what we're talking about. And I've been talking about this with a lot of my colleagues in academia setting where evidence based practice or what we call in the clinical field, EBP, is hailed as this the golden standard. Right? It's like the golden standard for everything. Evident everything must be evidence based. Evidence based simply means it's replicable. Whatever evidence and data points you derived from a certain Peer-reviewed study or controlled clinical trials, it just means that on a macro level, you can replicate that uh, multiple times by tenfold, hundredfold, and through iterations, it becomes evidence-based. At the same time, if you look at, we talked about this briefly offline. If you look at how a lot of colleges and academia institutions approach curriculum, it's a curriculum. It's a one-size-fits-all curriculum for everyone because the school has to cater to a lowest coefficient. likewise I think the evidence-based practice is needed because at the end of the day if you look at standard of deviations it has to cater and applicable to the far most majority for that to work so that is needed but at the same time we have to understand that anecdotal evidence cannot just be brushed off of anecdotal or isolated experiences because there's a lot of uh repeated and replicable anecdotal evidences out there uh, which is what ross is speaking here and a concrete example to think about for his spinal connection that ross alluded to this whole time is muscle spasm muscle spasm is actually in almost always predicated on signal receptions a lot of times, the signal between, like you say, your brain, vagus nerves, and your spinal cords are maybe corrupted or affected by whatever issues that may be going on, that could actually create this acute and often chronic pain sensations, even though there's nothing wrong with your spine. Or vice versa, it could, you could have tremendous pain uh, or no pain at all, even if there's tremendous issues going on with your, your muscle tissues. And a lot of that is the signals that you're alluding to. and um, my girlfriend and I, my partner, she's a physician, and we talk a lot about spinal cord or spine is probably single-handedly the most important a bone structure or this connective tissue that we have. Because without your spine, you're literally in paralysis. There's nothing you can do. So yeah, with that being said, I want to take a hard pivot, Ross, uh, in terms of going from health into maybe the creativity avenues and uh, different things that you do because it's obvious that you have a lot of diverging interest uh based on what what suits your needs or what you're interested at the time uh would you this this question may not land anywhere if it does i take full responsibility uh, in your life do you see any benefits from having this maybe more rigid career or professional background as an accountant with your cpa firm with your family business versus this a lot of the creativity Avenue that you do through YouTube through fakes through a lot of consultations and a lot of business that you do uh you can talk about economics too, but I'm just interested in to see if your overlaying background ever help each other because they're so different from looking from the outside.
1: I think it just makes me a more well rounded person. I think uh everyone needs both sides, right everyone needs some rigidity in their life and structure and routine, and everyone needs the, uh, artistic outlet and creativity and freedom. Um, and you need to practice both of those things. I mean, that's what being well-rounded is, I think, you know, and not just having both of them, but being relatively good at them. Right. And being able to adjust, right. Being a flexible person. As I've grown older though, Ben, I mean, I've started out my life as a very rigid Individual and did not realize that actually I'm more should have been more artistic and creative throughout my life and my earlier years, but you know no regrets and you can change i think you can change whatever you want about yourself, I and mean, I really believe that you know that neuroplasticity thing doesn't it doesn't go away if you practice it so you know you you can really change any little thing if you really really wanted to, and that for me is the only real message I have um I think it's just important to have both of them you know as an example, I just made a a rib roast, a prime rib roast, I went to the store, bought a prime rib roast, came home, had no idea what I was doing, looked up the very basics of kind of how long to cook it, how to cook it and then just did it. And it came out perfect. You know, having the ability to just on the fly do that and not have to plan every little detail is something that you have to practice and something that, you know, some people would think, oh, well, that's, you know, I'm envious of that person for having that skill. But again, it's practice. You you know, I didn't become good at public speaking by not public speaking, you know, so... you have to to literally just do these things. And uh, some people have more time than others and their lives are structured in very different ways. But in farming, you need to be rigid and you need to be structured to be very good. And so applying that for my life, but sticking to it, right? Being disciplined is so difficult. Because you may have written down all of the things in your notes and you say, all right, well, this is exactly how I grew this thing this year and it worked out really well. But you got to have the discipline to follow that every single time.
0: With your perfect prime rib, did you stick a finger? Is that why it came out perfect? (laughs) No, I use a thermometer actually. Um, (laughs) Also, I forgot to say this earlier, the fact that some people called your bedroom the jungle. uh It's like a great euphemism for sex or something. So I'm trying to see (laughs) how many (laughs) sexual puns I can squeeze in this before the interview ends. Um, But speaking of discipline and like having the rigidity, certain level of rigidity to follow through, um, I do know from my research on your content, I do know that two videos did really, really, really well on your channel. The most uh, YouTube video that you have is called how to grow fruit trees in container complete guide, which has over 645,000 views. And your second most viewed was why you should be pinching fig trees, which has over 421,000 views. So how do you approach your content with your YouTube channel? Like, do you like, I'm sure you have this urge to replicate quote unquote successful blueprints to get that likes, to get that algorithm, um, but I'm sure you're very authentic also. I know you don't like to do things you don't really care to do, despite the views and this fame that we talked a lot about offline. How do you approach your content or topics for the
1: week? Truthfully, the YouTube algorithm is not really my biggest fan. Um I tend to just talk forever and I don't shut up enough to, you know, make things interesting, right? Like I think the whole you know frame by frame thing, or like uh what am I saying like you know you have to like if I'm talking right now on the podcast, then it then the camera goes to me, but then, if you're saying something or you're shaking your head like that, then the camera goes to you, so like every ten, fifteen seconds changing the the angle of the camera or you know panning to something else, or you know that's what captures people's attentions, and that's what makes a good video in the YouTube algorithm and I don't do that. I don't edit. Uh rarely edit. I try to edit for the videos that I really want people to watch the entire thing and I want them to understand what I'm saying. Um cuz sometimes, you know, me just sitting there talking is like a lecture style and that's not good for the average listener, but um yeah, I mean, when you just kind of wing it and and just don't edit in that sense. There are some positives, but there's also the YouTube algorithm kind of punishes you, right? You need to have a certain amount of watch time, you know, a certain amount of comments and uh, impressions. And the magic recipe doesn't usually work. It doesn't exist as far as I can tell from, from my own perspective, because the videos that I don't even want to be viral or don't even want them to be uh viewed by many people uh get viewed by many people and the videos that i want to be viewed by many people don't get viewed by many people so there there's like uh the craziest it's it really a lot of it is in the thumbnail the video about the growing fruit trees in containers is all in the thumbnail and the fact that i have a face that people at least want to somewhat look at for a period of time <laughs> uh and could speak relatively well that captured enough attention for certain amount of time and the video went viral and that was it. There's, this video is not even that good. I've done so many other videos that are way better than that. Um, you know, also it was a topic at the time that people really were interested in and uh, till this day are still interested in, but it was not covered very well on YouTube. Now it's covered all the time and now you can't really get a video like that um, on YouTube. That's kind of the thing. There's even people now who have kind of regurgitated information that i've put out on like pinching figs as an example people literally have built an audience taking information from some of the videos that i've i've made and some of my own original ideas and then put them into their video and it took off because the algorithm likes them more (laughs) so it's not really monetized it's really monetized by the plants that i offer Um, the cuttings i sell and the trees that i sell So that's really what you have to do if you really wanted to make money at it. And I, I, again, I didn't even start out with that philosophy or that thought process. I was just like, you know what? It'd be cool if I did this process because growing fruit trees and planting things like this, it'd be really cool to document their life as they go. So I thought, you know, the same thing with the videos is that it's cool to just document this whole process. It's going to be a new, interesting thing I was doing. It was interesting to me. So it's probably going to be interesting to somebody else. you know, someone, maybe not everybody, but at least somebody. And people started watching. So that was it. And then, then I eventually realized, well, you know, people actually were telling me that I should monetize it. I was just like, nah, I don't want any of that. I don't need it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have this extra work. And it really did suck a little bit of the joy and happiness out of it. And that was what I was afraid of. I think it just really takes something out of it when you you put money into it.
0: I want to stay on this train and see if you have any thoughts about this. I had a conversation when I was in Philadelphia with a friend. Um, he talks about he's a financial analyst during the day, but he also works with ceramics. He creates these really, really beautiful and animated, unique, but also very trendy ceramics. And he talks about a lot of times the society and in the US specifically, people always talk about it's either passion or profit. Or whenever they have this creative avenue on the side, their ultimate goal is to make that their full time nine to five. But my friend, he was talking about, he is actually a friend introduced through Ina. He talks about, he's like, fuck that. By having my full time as a financial analyst, his basket of creativity of doing ceramics is not confined into income or livelihood. Like he has no limits on his creativity, he can do whatever he wants. If he wants he can do something weird with the ceramics not thinking about the uh, economics of that because he just loves it Mm -hmm. and his livelihood is never predicated to ceramics because he has a full-time job um do you feel that way or what are your thoughts on that since you also have a full time secure job as a cpa in addition to the additional 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 income that you comes with the fig tree business
1: yeah i do feel that way um and that's why i even You know, pretty much got my license because I needed that security. I needed to have that. Um, It's really important for someone to be able to follow their dreams to either just be a crazy person um, or to have some kind of security, and that's critical. Uh, And that's kind of where business actually helped me out. Was finding a niche to this this whole thing to make it somewhat to make it worth my time. You know, otherwise you're just going to bang your head against the wall and you're going to kind of hate. Hate what you're doing because that money is being injected into it
0: yeah that makes uh it does make a lot of sense i do feel like i mean it's not just like maslow's hierarchy but having a certain level of financial baseline does give you this creative freedom not just for the actual sake of creativity but i think when you're so limited by your livelihood when when you have to worry about am i going to have a next meal am i going to be able to pay my bills I reckon there's not a lot of creativity left in your headspace to think about creativity because you're strapped on or hindered by the limits or the needs of just living. I was going
1: to say that can also help too. Um, Having that, you know, don't know when your next meal is going to come. I mean, that's like powerful motivation.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I have another personal curiosity and once again, it might not land anywhere So on our offline conversation a month ago, the last time we talked, uh, you were sharing about how a lot of people, especially uh, when you were going on dates back then a while ago, you were talking about a lot of people would make certain assumptions about you based on your profession, based on the fact that you're a fixed expert guy, you're a home um, gardener, a home chef, all these nature things. People would assume you to be a very big climber or a lot of these other things you don't really associate with and I also made that assumptions myself during our first interview about oh based on the certain domains of who you are or who I perceive Ross as then Ross must be into this or that Um, I just want to revisit that conversation on the mic because I think it's really important where a lot of people tend to lean into their tendency to pattern recognize By saying that, oh, I recognize this pattern in Ross or in in Benoit or in other people, then automatically the rest of their life, which I have nothing about, must also be according to that pattern. Um, Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that's one of the many reasons contributing to this crazy world and the world meltdown, (laughs) if it happens.
1: Yeah, you know, Ben, a month ago or many months ago, I was much more passionate about that topic and now I'm kind of just like, I just want to let it be. But for the sake of letting people know how I feel, um, which maybe I can convince somebody that this might be the right way to to go about it. But, you know, we're all complex individuals, right? Just because someone does a particular thing doesn't mean that they have to do all these other things. It's just, to me, it's like, it's shocking, and it's almost rude. It just seems so weird that people build up these ideas about other people in their head, and it goes back to so many other things um you know so many other parts of their life too. It's not just about this one thing, but it's also about like seeing other people and being jealous or you know thinking about you know uh, having some insecurities. you know I think there's just all these assumptions that are made on the internet about other people that you really don't know and you never took the time to really find out. And instead of assuming, I mean, it's really one of my worst pet peeves about people now is all the assuming that goes on. And also the fact that there has to be a one side or the other side, there's never anything in between, you know, um, if there's anything, hopefully you guys picked up from me and my personality at this point in this podcast is that I'm really open-minded. You know, I think there's a lot of radical things I said, but like at the end of the day, I'm still very open-minded to any of these possibilities could be totally incorrect. Anything I said could be totally incorrect. And I just think we don't put enough emphasis on that, the everything in the middle. I mean, a lot of people keep Revert, you know, talking about politics, how we can't just agree on anything, and people, the media is pegging people to two ends of the spectrum. And, you know, there's a lot, there's not a whole lot of discussion that's happening. It's just like, okay, you don't believe what I believe, so screw you. To me, that's just like a weird, just a very, very weird way to live and a very weird personality trait that people are picking up. And it's concerning. Because a lot of it, I think, does stem back to having insecurities. Same thing with you know, looking at someone on Instagram and saying, oh, that's a really nice photo. I'm jealous of their relationship or I'm jealous of their job or I'm jealous of this crap. And at the end of the day, you don't even know anything about them. When it comes to being me as some sort of public figure, which is the craziest thing to even state. But people, people literally just like peg me as this thing like – you know, I just have a bunch of followers, okay? First off, 38,000 followers. How many of those people actually watch my videos like on a consistent basis? I would say I probably have about 2,000 consistent followers. So, am I really a public figure, number one? But number two, like being a public figure, I have learned at least – if you if we're going to say I'm a public figure I have learned that there are all of these things not just in the dating world or in the politic world but there are all these things that people then assume about you because they think they know you and then they're going to do the same thing to you I'm sure they may already do the same thing to you but there's people watching right now you just don't know until you meet the person you spend some time with them you talk to them from even more than one conversation I mean How many dates did you go on before you married your spouse? How much time do you have to spend with somebody before you invite them in your house? I mean, there's so many crazy things. And I think this is just riddled in all over our culture. And I hope it goes away because it's not just me, right? People think I'm either the best person in the world or the worst person in the world, (laughs) right? Ross is the smartest person. He is the best gardener. He's the best fig grower. He's the fig king or the fig boss. Like, uh, or people think, oh, Ross has no idea what he's talking about. Or this guy is full of it. Or this guy is super, you know, uh, whatever. I'm just an average guy. I'm just a normal person. These athletes, these political candidates, these other public figures that are large in our world are average people. This is this is the realization that I learned of just being this person, that you think you know them, but you have no idea anything about them. And unfortunately, that's some of the things that we judge, even our voting process, our, vote, our voting criteria is based on, well, I think this guy is a good person. I think this woman will do a good job. When the reality is, there is so ma- there's a persona that so many people are putting up as a front. Number one, number two. You never even talk to the person in person. Like you've never even ha- like met them and saw their body language and saw their, you know. There's so many things that like go into this that we are a- immensely complex people to then peg us or anybody in this corner based on something that you think is just crazy. It's crazy. It needs to stop because it's really affecting um, so many people's lives. And it can affect their lives in a negative way that is so negative that it's destructive. You, when you affect one person's life, right? You're you're affecting so many other people's lives.
0: Thank you for indulging in this uh, unpleasant conversation because I know you are, uh, for the listeners, Ross is the first person that Informed me more than a year half ago, two years ago, about the downside of fame, downside of being a public figure, being exposure, having all these accolades. they do have tremendous downside, and it is a trade off a lot of sense and One thing that you said, and you told me I will never forget is you want to be the most helpful, but least public person ever you just want to keep doing what you love, but you don't want any of the fame, any of the exposure, and I carry that mantra with me uh, that's why i i took off my name from the podcast logo it just discover more it's not discover more with benoit kim it just discover more because i just want to keep doing this in perpetuity without all of the downsides and sure i might lose out on certain opportunities but i do feel like what is yours is meant for you and it's hard for you to miss that if you're being intentional and being decisive what you have to do so i really really appreciate that because i could feel the pain from across the screen I'm sure the um, tremendous stress and the immense stressful period you went through last time when you're going with dealing with stress, the nori- the notoriety in terms of the fixed community, a lot of backstabbing, whatever things you went through, there's tremendous pain in that. So I do also like to echo that on a messaging board that one day, not even, we will never agree on everything. That's not realistic. We're literally, we're, we're humans and humanity is comprised of say billion individual in different floating stardust with different sets of genetic mutations with different belief systems and parenting how can you ever expect people to agree on most things that's that itself is ludicrous to me but i think people can get behind similar ideas because i think humans share more similar experiences than not under the umbrella of humanity
1: yeah and it starts ben with just being a good person like being wanting good for other people you know not wanting something negative for somebody else because you want what they want it has to stop like that right there it's like too much of that's happening so
0: yeah for sure for sure um i want to we're definitely coming towards the end of the episode but i also want to ask you one more question similar to that In terms of like, for you who have been doing this for five years, I want to say four or five years on YouTube, maybe six years. Uh, I know that in the beginning as a content creator, you have to build up your community, build up a following by providing values for the listeners. But then you told me this, that there is a point where you have to, you don't have to, but you almost have to step back from messaging back to all the replies, you know, responding to every single comment out there from. These people who have no idea who you are for both yourself, but also newer content creators who want to amass a following like you do, who want to create a community with their own brands. Uh, do you have any advice or just thoughts based on your own experiences, how you balance that very uh, tricky but fine line?
1: Man, Ben, I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask about community, honestly. Um, it's probably the weakest part of my whole channel and brand um because i although i respect the people and i appreciate the people who watch my videos and they they contribute in a positive way to my life i really value my privacy and i like i said i you you mentioned it that if you know i could do all of this again in a way or maybe if i could do all of this um and not have the public viewing it in some way then I, I wouldn't, you know, like that it's just not, it's just not for me, you know, and maybe it is for somebody else. Like I'm not really the friendliest human. (laughs) 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 Like I just, you know, and a part of it is not even just that it's more like that. I don't know these people, you know, it's weird to me to try to communicate with somebody uh, that I don't, I don't even know them. I don't see them. I don't know what they look like. I know nothing about them. And it's all over a screen. You know, we used to think about that as like when we were younger all the time, didn't we not? Like people think about that to this day about online dating that have never done it. They're like, oh my God, you do online dating. Like you don't know anything about them. You know, like how could you do that? Like it's just it's weird that you could develop some sort of a connection with somebody and you never even met them. So for me, it's it's to an even higher degree, like with total strangers. You know, there's a lot of people who are funny and I appreciate the funny comments that people put, you know, but it just comes down to the simple fact that, I don't know, I just, I can't, I just struggle to really connect with these people. and I, And it's sad for me to say that because I'm sure they would love to connect with me twice a year i do like a in-person thing at a at an event um and it hasn't happened recently but there are two events that happen with crazy fig people get together and they talk about figs so if somebody wanted to come meet me i always you know make a video and say hey if you want to come actually meet me and know who i am come meet me in person come talk to me and um it's usually a lot of a much brighter experience uh, because I (laughs) really do. I love that. I love meeting these people. I hate talking to them on the internet. So there's like the, and that's actually two strong words, love and hate, but I wouldn't say hate. It's more of just a chore at this point. Uh, Even talking to me on the phone would be better than just typing behind a screen. So my advice you know you gotta just make you gotta answer everyone's comments in the beginning, and then over time it gets really intense, and there's too many comments, and the comments become destructive to your life and to your psyche uh to your mood, so you have to eliminate a lot of them now, what I do is I've somehow f- developed a way to ignore certain things that people say and rather than just responding in a negative way back at them or just thinking, Oh my God, this, you know, this person, you're just shaking your head. But I just somehow now realize, you know what, it is what it is. That person's going to do their thing. I can't control them. Um, you know, there's probably some other external factor as to why they're doing this and I'll just let it be and they can be whoever they want to be and I can be whoever I want to be. That's just a work in progress though. That has been like the biggest challenge in my life, I think, (laughs) is just accepting people for who they are. Yeah. I,
0: I really, once again, I appreciate the true, authentic, unedited vulnerability. Like I said, I don't think a lot of, whether you coin yourself as public figures or not, a lot of people who people tend to put on a pedestal, I know a lot of people do put you on a pedestal because of your fame and your channels. Uh, a lot of people don't really talk about this. Like I've never heard. It's 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 rare that a lot of public figures with large followings talk about the tremendous mental health cost that comes with all these anonymous commenting and all these Twitter keyboard warriors attacking you from behind the screens. Right. The screens, I think it's
1: right? because Ben that a lot of the people who actually are famous, they people will see that as a complaint and they will attack that person for complaining about their fame but I'm not really famous. So I can complain about it all I want. And no one's <laughs> going to be like, Hey Ross, you should be appreciative of all the followers you have. You know, it's like, whatever, screw you. You know, like I don't care. I don't have a movie deal. That's $50 million. That, and you know, my girlfriend's crazy. Like there's no, that doesn't exist. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. But nonetheless, like I, I do think that fame and, Famous is contextualized and it's very different from different people, how they view you through. But once again, I I really appreciate uh, these honest responses because yeah, when you told me that I want to be the most influential but least known person, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I think I could feel and gauge the level of thinking, processing, and struggle that went behind the scenes. But that's something I want to emulate myself too. I just want to keep doing podcasting for as long as I can. But I don't want anything. I don't want any strings attached. I don't want anything comes with that. That's why I think our conversations about having something else that anchors your financial income or whatever, because I'm also a clinician, I think really helps me so that I could keep this space as pure as I possibly can for my liking, but also to help whatever listeners along the way.
1: You know, you really love this podcasting thing which I uh, you know, I understand partly why, because you could get to interview people. I don't know why you want to interview me, but <laughs> <laughs> there are some interesting people in the world that I'd be like, oh, I want to talk to them. And maybe if I had a podcast that was big enough, I could eventually talk to them and actually ask the questions that I think should be asked or the questions that are important, selfishly important to me. Yeah, so that's awesome. But also at the same time, I'm like, good lord man this is just such a crazy undertaking and uh maybe at some point you even just like would learn all the things you wanted to learn like what what are i mean obviously you're always learning but like there must be something where you're like all right i don't need to hear any more about nature or like health for a while <laughs> you know like yeah. i'm done like at least that's how I get. I'm like, I heard this this crap already. I don't need to hear it again. You know, how, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, so one of the questions that I didn't ask, I ended up bagging it in my mind, is I was going to ask you how much of your videos you post are because of your own fulfillment, just selfish own fulfillment. Like, I want to post this video about the best variety of fakes, which I understood. That's why I bagged the question. But that's something I struggle with now in real time because... Like I love these three-hour conversations, but Algorithm isn't the best for three-hour conversations on YouTube. The best podcast platform that does the best, according to my research, is about an hour 15 to an hour 20. That is a a, a sweet spot. I don't want to do that because I don't want to cut a conversation short for the sake of Algorithm, but I also don't see myself entering people that I have no interest in even though they're having to be trending for that week based on SEO and all these analytics and metrics. So I'm currently on the journey of how can I balance that selfish need of my own fulfillment and my own curiosity, but also do something that my listeners want to listen to. So to your question, even now after the brand pivot, going from two interviewers to myself becoming the face of this brand, I realized I can't sit back as much anymore. Now, even in these conversation's I'm very immersive I'm very mindful I pay attention to everything you're saying but I also have to in real time connect the dots to ask a meaningful questions that you'd be interested in that I also would hope that listeners find that question interesting but I do that all in real time because it's unscripted so I realize, oh yeah this feels more like a work for me than it did maybe two years ago or three years ago when I first started it um, it's really difficult too. but even now like yeah having like 100 episodes each episode is at least two hours i met with 50 plus guests from different sectors and professions and some questions i just can't ask because i already know the answer to or a certain theme i've seen over and over and over again but i think that's more cool for me because they're like ah this is a testimony to my belief that human experience is more universal than not so that helps a lot in a very meta level Uh, but two i haven't gotten the fatigue level yet because i really love the avenue of podcasting and that's why i try to select people that i want to listen to myself that's why as of now it's hard for me to do interview a particular popular person based on the trends and based on the metrics unless i really find that guy interesting myself i just, i can't pull that trigger that's my personality my rigidity in that i don't know if that's good or bad but as of now i haven't hit the fatigue point that you're asking.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a good uh, way to approach it for sure. Because you wouldn't want to be bored as the interviewer, you know. Like that's (laughs) that's not good. That would be not a a good look. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would think I would just run out of people at some point because I'm like, where where's the next person? There's only so many people who wrote a book. There's only so many people who. I guess you'd have to just become at some point Joe Rogan, and you just have like everyone on the podcast that, that. wants to come on the podcast at that point.
0: I don't I don't know. Yeah, but Joe talks about that where he, it's hard for him to retain a lot of the information and insights because his interview like four thousand people from the highest level of profession. So like how can anyone's brain retain such information? Um yeah, so I feel like it's that's it's such a depth to podcasting that a lot of people just don't know. Um but yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully I will come up with a better answer to see how I can find my own balance down the road because I do want to do this in perpetuity, do this for at least ten plus years. That's but, why I'm asking because it's uh, yeah.
1: like it's just a insane task, but uh, again, I admire it. So, how often are you yeah, doing? But that,
0: that uh, during the summer, so until my clinic and my grad school starts again, I'm doing like two, three interviews a week. So I'm full sprinting for three months, get a lot of content, and then I will um, tone down the intensity when my clinic and school starts back again. Uh, but that's the reason why I don't do book-specific interviews yet, because that's what everyone's doing. Like every podcast and the, every notable podcast is all about get an author talk about the book. But that to me it seems too agenda-specific. I just want to I want to know the inner walk, inner workings of your psyche your Processes your approach to life, not just because you have a book to publish or to promote. But I, at some point, I'll also have to do that too. So, definitely a working process. Um, but yeah, the um, but to your point, Ross, you have a lot to share. You have, uh, I know, I know you were joking about the last guest I had on, Alan Booker, with his insane amount of introductions and what he's done in the undertakings of his life. But I, you have really cool, fascinating background too, and you're a really nice person. I genuinely love our conversations on the mic, so uh, don't sell yourself short.
1: Um, Well, you can't let my head get too big because that's a problem. So (laughs) Uh,
0: I feel like a lot of uh, keyboard warriors keeping check on that front. So (laughs) 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 I'll pull with you a little bit. Okay, but yeah, with that, uh, it's definitely the tail end of the conversations. I do want to hit you with the signature hallmark, discover more podcast question to end the episode with. So fold one of the question, Ross, as you may remember, is after this conversation, we talked about your content creation. We talked about the complexity of growing uh, figs or trees. You talked about some of the downsides that comes with your fame, your exposure. It's a very encompassing topic. Uh, What's something that it's in your life maybe that's related to your health? What's an area you want to discover more about after this conversation? And fold two, what's something that you want to encourage and challenge our listeners to think more about uh, after this uh, wide variety and very vast conversation with you?
1: I want to encourage everybody just to be a better person. And that means, you know, not just being nicer or not assuming or not being a hypocrite and not being all these negative things, but I mean like being a better version of yourself in any way. And that means. Actually just improving in something, um, not being complacent and not being, um, thinking that you're stuck in your ways um, or that you're you're in a box and you can't get out because that's not true. And especially with your health, especially with nature, um, our bodies are amazing. You know, what I've learned with my health is that there's an answer for everything. You just have to know where to look and how to find the right answer. For me, I I just really don't like nowadays when people put themselves in these boxes that they're stuck and they're like, oh, I'm depressed and I'm forever depressed. I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. I mean, yeah, our genetics say we should be this X, Y, and Z. And maybe we have some limits. But there are certainly things that we can do, so much we can do that can change anything you want about yourself. Anything, like uh, you could change your personality. I know they say at 25, your personality is pretty much done changing. That's just nonsense. Like all of it's just nonsense. You could do whatever the heck you wanna do. The problem is you don't have the motivation or you don't have any idea how to change whatever that thing is that you wanna change. So just change one little thing. Cause then when you change the one thing, it gets easier to change the next thing. And when you change the next thing, you then connect the one thing to the other thing. And you just keep getting better at improving and you keep getting better at being a better person. Just on that note, the thing that I'm going to try to learn next or do next is to dedicate my life now back to certain hobbies that I had been neglecting um, to continue on that path of the guy that you interviewed (laughs) last week. Uh, but I'm going to have kids and get married so I don't know how much time I'll have but um, (laughs) I definitely am going to keep improving and like I said the piano thing at some point Um, I would like to finish writing the book that I was writing on figs Um, I'd like to um, do some live performances uh, singing and maybe even an instrument at some point like to continue painting. I had to stop painting. That's just a, an amazing creative outlet that people should do. And it's something physical that you can have on your wall and look at at any moment, which uh, is special to me.
0: That's, that's awesome. I hope that when the episode is released, uh, when you re-listen back into what we talk about, you can act as like a real-time reminder that, oh yeah, I talked about this six months ago last year. On Ben's podcast, that I'm gonna pick up painting again or singing again because you do have a phenomenal voice. I was shook when you <laughs> started singing in <laughs> Ina's bedroom like three years I was like, what? <laughs> Who is this dude? You know? Um, uh, but seriously, though, I do, I hope that because my purest reason why I started the podcast and co founded it with a friend three years ago is just to create a public catalog so I can revisit these conversations I have with intimate friends, whoever. Because how often do you remember these 2 a.m. conversations? Not that it's 2 a.m. now, but right, um, which, is, which is amazing. And yeah, Ross, where could uh, – this is where I roll out the red carpet for you. Where could people connect with you? Uh, do you have any other maybe immediate projects in the horizon? And if they want to learn more about you after listening to this and hopefully get a deeper sense of who Ross Reddy is.
1: Yeah, uh, I would just check out the YouTube channel. Um, youtube.com slash Ross If you want to check out the blog, it's great. Um, a lot of information there, just but it's very fig specific. Um, but I'm going to hopefully maybe at some point have a new channel, an additional channel, and that would be great. Just to kind of maybe explore a different format of video, a different way of doing them and uh, maybe reach a different audience.
0: Yeah, of course. And yeah, to all the listeners, as always, uh, I will link a lot of the show notes in the episode uh, descriptions below that you found helpful throughout this episode. And by the time this episode is released, and if you're hearing this and listening to this on the audio platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Cast, uh, please check out the YouTube episode. It should have already gone live. Uh, YouTube episodes usually go live on Sundays. Lastly, subscribe, like, and share this episode and this channel and this podcast with whoever you would like if you found any value and found a lot of these new ones conversations as entertaining as we have found it and as always thank you for discovering more with us this week and hope to see you
1: again next time